Well, hello, and welcome to this ninth talk on the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah being a prophet in the Old Testament of the Bible. And I'm doing this, as you know by now, in the first person, as if I were Jeremiah himself. I've brought with me my top-of-the-range digital display board just to remind you of the events of Jeremiah's of my life so far. I was called to be a prophet when I was 17 years old. You'll see my age in the top right-hand corner and you'll see the chapter in the book in the bottom right-hand corner. I was called to be a prophet and I was shown two visions to encourage me in my work. During the reign of Josiah, I didn't get into any trouble at all. I ministered, but I had very little success. The people didn't really want to know they needed to repent of their sinful ways. But when King Jehoiakim came to the throne, things changed for me. And I went to the temple to preach a sermon there. It did not go down well. And I was put on trial. I was beaten. I was released. But then I was put in the stocks. And after having been in the stocks for a while, I went through a time of very deep depression. During my ministry, I did a number of signs, prophetic signs, to demonstrate to the people what I was trying to tell them through the Word of God. The first sign that I did was to buy a linen belt, brand new belt, which I stuffed into some rocks, and I left it to go rotten through weathering. And when I came back to it, of course, it was of no use. And this was a sign to the people that they had been in the hand of God and he had adopted them and bought them and he loved them and they were following him, but they'd gone wrong, they'd gone bad. They had reverted to Canaanite ways and had abandoned the worship of the Lord. Then I went down to the potter's house <clears throat> and in the potter's house I saw the potter throwing a pot, but it was going wrong and he squashed it and started again. And this was a symbol of the fact that the Lord was going to start again with his people. The second time I went to the potter's house, I bought one of his pots. And then I took it down to the valley of Ben-Hinnom, which later became known as Gehenna, or hell. And there I smashed it. And this was another prophetic sign, demonstrating to the people that God was about to smash the kingdom of Judah because of its rebellion. However, not everybody in the country was bad. There was a small group, a minority of people, called the Rechabites, who very faithfully obeyed the teachings of their ancestor from long, long ago. And I thought to myself, these Rechabites are more loyal to their ancestor than my people are to the Lord himself. And I realised that the Lord was going to enter into a new covenant with his people. He was going to set up something fresh. He was going to have a new relationship with his people whereby the people would want to follow him and indeed they would. I had by this time asked my secretary, whose name was Baruch, to write down my prophecies on a scroll. This scroll was seized by the authorities and taken to the king, King Jehoiakim. And as it was read to him, with a knife he cut off sections of the scroll and threw those remnants into the fire, burning the word of God. Barak rewrote my words, but the king had really offended the Lord by burning his word. 
Shortly after that, the king, King Jehoiakim, decided to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar began his, his invasion, which took a while, but he did invade, and a number of people were taken into exile into Babylon. So now I was faced with a situation where about half of the people, or more than half the people, were in Babylon, and the other half of the people of Judah were in Judah. Where did the purpose of God for the future lie? And I had a vision of figs. During this vision, I saw two baskets of figs, some good figs and some bad figs. And the Lord told me that the people who had gone into exile, they were the good figs. They were the ones with whom God's purposes were lying. Whereas the people in Judah, including myself, were the bad figs. Although there's a happier side to this story later, as we will discover. So I decided to write a letter to the exiles, a famous letter, a letter which is very popular among Christians today. And I was about 45 years old when I wrote this letter. This letter told them that they were going to have a long exile in Babylon, 70 years. But after 70 years, many of them would return and re-establish life in Judah. But the king, of course, took no notice of anything that I was saying. And so I went to see him again, and I wore a wooden yoke. And this was a sign that he had to submit to the yoke of the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Of course, the king took no notice of my teaching, and I warned him that if he did not obey the Lord, then the Lord would impose upon the people and upon him an iron yoke. Well, by now, Nebuchadnezzar is laying siege to the city of Jerusalem. But there was a lull in that siege, and during the lull, I was able to buy a field, which was an odd thing to do. Why would I buy a field during a lull in a siege when I knew the siege was going to be completed, that the city was going to be destroyed? The reason was this. It was a sign of hope. What I was telling the people was, times are going to get better. The exiles are going to return and they're going to re-establish Judah as a country and the city will be rebuilt and temple worship will be restored. So buying this field was an act of faith on my part, showing the people could have some hope of a better future. However, while I was in the process of buying this field, I was arrested for desertion. And initially I was thrown into a dungeon, an underground dungeon where there was no light and virtually no food. And then the king decided I could be held in custody in the courtyard of the guard. And then his nobles came to him and said, we want this Jeremiah ourselves, we're going to deal with him once and for all. And the king gave in and released me to them and I was thrown into a cistern. This cistern was like a bowl in the ground with a tube cut out whereby they squeezed me down this tube into this bowl where I was sinking in the mud. But a friend of mine, Ebed Melech, went to the king and asked if he could release me. And the king said yes. He changed his mind again, you see. And Ebed Melech was able to release me from the cistern. By this time, I was about 58 years old. The city fell. 
It was sure to. I had foretold that it would. I had warned everyone that the city would fall. And it did. And it fell when I was about 58, 57 or 58 years old. Nebuchadnezzar came back, having seen off the king of Egypt. He returned with an iron fist in an iron glove to impose an iron yoke on Judah. The siege had lasted two years or more. But when it happened, it came with force. The city wall was broken through. You can find this in chapter 39 of my book. Zedekiah the king tried to escape, but he was captured and his sons with him. And then the most horrible court, uh, <coughs> torture was imposed on Zedekiah. He was forced to watch as his two sons were slaughtered in front of him. And then the Babylonians gouged out his eyes. So the last thing that Zedekiah ever saw was the death of his children. Then he was taken in bronze shackles to Babylon. And anyone who was anyone in Judah was also taken into exile and only the poorest of the poor were left in Jerusalem and in Judah. All the houses, the palaces and the temple were destroyed by fire. The place became uninhabitable. But what happened to me? Have a look at chapter 39, verse 11. Now Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had given these orders about Jeremiah through Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard. Take him and look after him. Don't harm him, but do for him whatever he asks. So Nebuzaradan, the commander of the guard, and others, sent and had Jeremiah taken out of the courtyard of the guard. They handed him over to Gedaliah, son of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, to take him back to his home. So he remained among his own people. On Nebuchadnezzar's orders, I was protected because I'd always been telling the people to submit to Nebuchadnezzar. And so I was set free and I was handed over to Gedaliah. Now, who was Gedaliah? Well, he had been appointed by Nebuchadnezzar to govern the smoking ruin, which was all that was left of Judah. Let me read about that in chapter 40 and verse 5. However, before Jeremiah turned to go, Nebuzaradan added, Go back to Gedaliah, whom the king of Babylon has appointed over the towns of Judah, and live with him among the people, or go anywhere else you please. So I was given freedom. I was given freedom to do what I wished, and I decided to go back to live with Gedaliah. Gedaliah had set up his headquarters in Mizpah. Jerusalem was just a smoking ruin. He couldn't rule from there. He went a few miles north, to the place called Mizpah. It, everything started well enough under the governorship of Gedaliah. Many Jews who had fled from Judah to get away from Nebuchadnezzar, they returned. It's there in chapter 40 and verse 11. When all the Jews in Moab, Ammon, Edom, and all the other countries heard that the king of Babylon had left a remnant in Judah and had appointed Gedaliah as governor over them, they all came back to the land of Judah, to Gedaliah at Mizpah, from all the countries where they had been scattered. And they harvested an abundance of wine and summer fruit. So people were gathering again. People from the countries around Jews, I mean, came back to Mizpah to support Gedaliah and to help to rebuild the ruined country. But among them, among them was an assassin. His name was Ishmael. 
Gedaliah was warned about this, but he took no notice of the warnings. And in chapter 41, we read of the murder of Gedaliah, which took place at a meal. Ishmael, the assassin with ten men, came to Gedaliah in Mizpah at his headquarters, and they sat down for a meal together, but a given signal. His men got up, and they murdered Gedaliah. They murdered all the guests at this meal, and then they went on the rampage around Mizpah, killing anybody in sight, including Babylonian soldiers. And so civil war broke out in Judah. There was Ishmael, who had murdered Gedaliah, who wanted to get rid of the Babylonians, and others who were led by Johanan, who wanted a quiet life, and they wanted to cooperate with the Babylonians and to rebuild their country. And there was a horrible civil war with many, many murders. Ishmael, the assassin, was overcome, and he made his escape and went back to Ammon. And the leader of the more peaceful side of the country, Johanan, he decided he was going to try to take over from Gedaliah. And he asked me for advice. Look at chapter 42 and verse 1. Then all the army officers, including Jehoanan, and all the people from the least to the greatest, approached Jeremiah the prophet and said to him, Please hear our petition and pray to the Lord your God for this entire remnant. For as you now see, though we were once many, now only a few are left. Pray that the Lord your God will tell us where we should go and what we should do. I've heard you, replied Jeremiah the prophet. I will certainly pray to the Lord your God as you have requested. I will tell you everything the Lord says and will keep nothing back from you. Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we don't act, do not act in accordance with everything the Lord your God sends you to tell us. Whether it's favourable or unfavourable, we will obey the Lord our God to whom we are sending you, so that it will go well with us, for we will obey the Lord our God. So Johanan, who was now in charge, said, Jeremiah, we don't know what to do. Will you pray for us? So I went away and prayed for 10 days. He asked us, what, what shall we do? What's the Lord's will? And whatever the Lord says, we'll do it. Well, had the people of Judah ever done what the Lord had said? Had they ever listened to me as their prophet? Would they obey? Tell that to the fairies. Look at verses 9 to 12. This is what the Lord says, to whom you sent me to present your petition. If you stay in this land, I will build you up and not tear you down. I will plant you and not uproot you. For I have relented concerning the disaster I have inflicted on you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon, whom you now fear. Do not be afraid of him, declares the Lord, for I am with you and will save you and deliver you from his hand. I will show you compassion so that he will have compassion on you and restore you to your land. I told them to stay. I told them the will of the Lord was to remain in Judah and to begin the process of rebuilding the country. But if they didn't, if they fled, then the sword famine and plague would follow them wherever they went. Well, in chapter 43, having delivered my prophetic reply, they decided to reject it. Verse 2. Azariah and Johanan and all the arrogant men said to Jeremiah, 
You are lying. The Lord our God has not sent you to say you must not go to Egypt to settle there. But Baruch is inciting you against us to hand us over to the Babylonians so that they may kill us or carry us into exile to Babylon. So Johanan and all the army officers and all the people disobeyed the Lord's command to stay in the land of Judah. Instead, Johanan and all the army officers led away all the remnants of Judah who had come back to live in the land of Judah from all the nations where they had been scattered. They also led away all those whom Nebuchadnezzar in command of the imperial guard had left with Gedaliah, the men, the women, the children and the king's daughters. And they took Jeremiah the prophet and Baruch along with them. So they entered Egypt in disobedience to the Lord and went as far as Tarpanes. They weren't going to obey the word of the Lord. The people of Judah never had. And they decided out of fear to reject my prophetic word and to flee to Egypt, taking with them as many people as they could, including me. I was kidnapped and I was forced to go to Egypt against my will where I died. And if we were to read chapter 44, you would discover that once the Jews got to, to Egypt, they reverted to the worship of idols and started worshipping Babylonian and Egyptian gods. So my final words to them are to be found in chapter 44 and verse 26. Hear the word of the Lord, all you Jews living in Egypt. I swear by my great name, says the Lord, that no one from Judah living anywhere in Egypt shall ever again invoke my name or swear as surely as the sovereign Lord lives. For I am watching over them for harm, not for good. The Jews in Egypt will perish by sword and famine until they are all destroyed. Those who escape the sword and return to the land of Judah from Egypt will be very few. Then the whole remnant of Judah who came to live in Egypt will, will know whose word will stand, mine or theirs. So after 40 years as a prophet, at the age of about 60, my prophecies having been ignored, I died virtually friendless, alone and in Egypt. Now coming out of roll now, let me do a little roundup. During these nine weeks, we've scratched the surface of these 52 chapters. We've dipped into 39 of them, but some of them we've only read a few verses. I'm told that the book of Jeremiah is referred to 40 times in the New Testament, but we've referred to very few of those. But there's one which is very important, and it's in Matthew chapter 16. Do you remember when Jesus took the disciples to Caesarea Philippi, and he said to them, who do people say I am? What's being said about me? What are the rumours? How, how are the people assessing uh, my work? And the disciples said, some think you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Now I want you to ask this question. Why would Jesus have been identified with Jeremiah? You may want to stop watching for a moment and just to ponder that question. What is there about Jeremiah that reminded them of Jesus or of Jesus that reminded them of Jeremiah? I can think of 14 similarities. Both were men, both were single, both were priest prophets. 
Now, in the Old Testament, you could be a priest and a prophet, and you could be a king and a prophet, but you were not allowed to be a priest-king. But Jesus is our prophet, priest, and king. So priestliness and being a prophet were two characteristics of Jesus and of Jeremiah. Both of them were shocked at the sin and the disobedience of the people of God. And both of them foretold the destruction of Jerusalem. I've often read that to you from the book of Jeremiah, but let me read to to you from the book of Luke. These are the words of Jesus about Jerusalem. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. Both Jeremiah and Jesus wept bitterly over the coming destruction of the holy city. Both men were disbelieved. Both men were rejected by the Jewish leaders. Both men were physically beaten up by the authorities. Both of them experienced times of agonising spiritual depression. Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Both of them were men of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Both of them were men who never gave up. Both of them were men who were subject to false charges in court. And both of them were taken somewhere they didn't want to go in order to die. Jeremiah was so like Jesus. He was so like Jesus in the things that happened to him. And he was also so like Jesus in his ways. Jeremiah is almost unique among Old Testament prophets. Not many of the prophets were required to be single. Not many of the prophets were beaten up and put in the stocks. Not many of the prophets were thrown into dungeons or cisterns. Not many of the prophets became so depressed they wished they'd never been born. Not many of the prophets were dragged away and kidnapped against their will and taken away to die. Jeremiah, almost unique in the things he suffered for the Lord. But also so much like Jesus in his character. Jesus and Jeremiah, they loved God. They hated sin. They were both tender men. Jesus described himself as being gentle and lowly in heart. They were both emotional men. They both knew how to weep, not just to weep, but to burst into tears and have broken hearts. But theologically, Jeremiah is the link between the Old Testament and the New Testament, between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, because he said that a new covenant was coming, one which would be written on people's minds and hearts, a new covenant where everyone would know the Lord, a new covenant where everyone's sins will be forgiven, never to be remembered. And Jesus said, this blood, my blood, this wine, representing my blood, is the blood of the new covenant given for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jeremiah was one of the greatest of the prophets of the Old Testament. So like Jesus, both in his life and his experiences and in his ways. So thanks be to God for this giant of a prophet 
this colossus of a spokesman of God. And thanks be to God for his son Jesus, who outshines even the glory of the prophet Jeremiah. Amen.